with uh, researcher Ida Benjamin Sketting will talk about Jihad in Sahel, the growth of ISIS. Sketting is a research fellow at the Norwegian Defense Research Establishment. His PhD research focuses on jihadism in the Sahel region as part of his institute's Terra project. Sketting has a Bachelor and Master's of Philosophy in Arabic, Persian and Middle Eastern Studies from the University of Oxford. Thank you so much to uh, Yalta Norway for the invitation to speak. Um, it is a great, um, I think it's a great way to celebrate the first anniversary of the Norwegian lockdown to actually be able to be here in person with such a great panel and, and speak with you. Um, and um, I was going to preface this by saying that uh, I was going to speak about a region that has received too little attention, uh, which is the Sahel. Um, obviously, uh, Mokbeos uh, is one of the uh, great exceptions to, to, exceptions to this. So uh, we've had uh, some talk about the Sahel already, which I'm uh, very happy about. So I, I guess we can have some fruitful uh, conversations to come. Um, anyway, so I, I will be taking... Uh, um, slightly more historical uh, approach. I will, I will uh, talk about the uh, historical context and how uh, the um, the rise of jihadism in the Sahel is linked to the to the events of the Arab Spring. Um, after that, I will give an overview of the main jihadist actors in the region uh, and how this, the situation uh, in the region has developed in, in later years. Uh, and finally, uh, I will discuss how the jihadist movements in the Sahel operate as local insurgent movements and also discuss their connections to transnational uh, jihadist networks. Uh, and just very quickly, before we delve into the issue, um, we should try and define what area we're talking about. So uh, the Sahel uh, is a geographical term that can be defined in a number of different ways. Um, in the Norwegian government's uh, Sahel strategy, for instance, uh, the Sahel is defined as the so-called G5 countries, that is Burkina Faso, Mali, Niger, Mauritania, and Chad. Uh, but the three countries I will be focusing on are uh, Mali, Burkina Faso, and Niger, uh, that you can see on the map here. Uh, so whenever I refer to the Sahel, I refer primarily to these three. So uh, to begin with a background, uh, the jihadist movement in the Sahel today began as an outgrowth of the Algerian or the jihadist movement in Algeria. Uh, and this began in earnest in the early 2000s when, um, uh, when, when, when the predecessor to AQIM, uh, that is, uh, is Al-Qaeda in the Islamic Maghreb, uh, was waging an insurgency against the Algerian government um, and started establishing a presence uh, in northern Mali. Uh, so they crossed into northern Mali not in order to, to fight the, the, Malian, the, the Malian government, uh, but in order to use this area as a support base for their fight in Algeria. Over the years, uh, as the group was losing ground in Algeria, uh, the, the Malian portion of the group came to be more important in the group's strategy. Uh, however, the jihadist presence in, in Mali remained uh, essentially a side operation to the campaign in Algeria for many years. Uh, but uh, this all changed in 2012. Uh, when a rebellion broke out among the Tuareg ethnic group in northern Mali. Uh, and this is where the Arab Spring really played into, into the course of events in the Sahel. Um, so, uh, as you probably know, uh, the Arab Spring le reached Libya in 2011, uh, when an uprising uh, supported by a NATO bombing campaign brought down the uh, dictatorship of Gaddafi. 
Over the years, uh, Gaddafi had recruited a large number of Tuareg from northern Mali into his army. Uh, and when his regime fell, many of his Tuareg fighters returned to Mali, uh, where they uh, brought lots of heavy military equipment with them. Um, and these returned soldiers from Libya uh, formed the core of the two main separatist movements that emerged in northern Mali in 2012. Uh, the first of these was the secularist group MNLA, which is the, the National Movement for the Liberation of Azawad, um, and the Islamist or jihadist movement on Saladin. Uh, in addition, it should be noted that the jihadist groups in the region also uh, benefited from the weapons that were looted from Gaddafi's uh, military arsenals. Um, and there were, of course, uh, lots of other social and political factors in Mali itself that contributed to this instability. Uh, but there is a, a direct link between the fall of Gaddafi's regime in 2011 and the outbreak of the rebellion in northern Mali. So the rebellion began in January of 2012 and was led by the, the, the secularist group, MNLA, uh, which wanted to create a separate state in northern Mali, which they called uh, Azawad. Uh, MNLA was supported in this endeavor by Ansar Eddin, uh, as mentioned, as well as by AQIM and Mujao, uh, another local uh, jihadist group. Um, and the separatists and the jihadists managed to expel the, the Malian government from northern Mali as allies, uh, and they declared the area to be a separate state. Uh, but soon afterwards, fighting broke out between the jihadist groups uh, on the one side and the, um, the, the secular separatists on the other. Uh, and in the end, the jihadists took control of the entirety of northern Mali, uh, which became known as the Islamic Emirate of Azawad. Uh, so this area that is uh, roughly equal in size to France, uh, was under the occupation of jihadist groups connected to Al-Qaeda for roughly nine months, um, and these groups tried to build an Islamic state there. Uh, in other words, uh, the first large-scale Islamic state project that emerged from the Arab Spring uh, was not the ISIS caliphate in, in and Iraq, uh, but the Islamic Emirate in northern Mali, which is often overlooked. Um, so the turning point in this story uh, came in uh, January of 2013, uh, when the jihadists based in northern Mali launched a, a major military offensive into central Mali towards the, the capital Bamako. Uh, in response, uh, the, the Malian government requested military aid from France. Um, and the French uh, launched a military intervention that uh, beat back the jihadist offensive and put an end to the jihadist state in northern Mali uh, over the course of a few months. Um, and the French have retained a military presence in, in the region ever since, uh, with a mandate to fight terrorism across the Sahel. Um, and, and there's also been uh, deployed um, a UN peacekeeping mission in the country, known as Osman. Um, so this French intervention was, of course, uh, a major setback for the jihadists in the short term. Um, they had lost the territory they held in northern Mali, um, and they had suffered considerable losses. Uh, however, from 2015, uh, there has been a gradual resurgence in jihadist activity in the region. Uh, there has been an increase in jihadist, activity, in jihadist attacks every year since then. Um, and moreover, the jihadist networks have also seen a significant geographic spread. So while in 2012 and 2013, uh, jihadist activity was overwhelmingly con concentrated in northern Mali, uh, the epicenter has now moved further south uh, to central Mali, northern Burkina Faso, and western Niger. 
Uh, and the situation in the Sahel region today remains chaotic. Uh, local and international security forces uh, struggle to restore order, uh, and the intensity of the violence has increased significantly over the past few years. Uh, so according to ACLED, uh, more than 6,000 people were killed in surgery-related attacks in, in, in these three countries uh, in 2020 alone, uh, which is many times more than just a few years before. Uh, in addition to jihadists, uh, there are also a variety of other non-state armed actors that also contribute quite significantly to the violence in the region. Uh, but that lies somewhat outside the scope of this presentation, uh, where we will focus on the two main jihadist groups in the region, uh, namely JNIM and ISGS, which we'll have a look at now. So, um, as in many other places in the world, uh, the jihadist scene in the Sahel uh, is also essentially divided into two groups who, who belong to the two main global jihad franchises, uh, namely Al-Qaeda and, uh, and ISIS. So the first group, uh, JNIM, uh, is Al-Qaeda's local representative. Um, JNIM is an Arabic acronym for uh, Jamaat Muslim Islam Muslimi. Translate to the, translates to the support of Islamic Muslims. Um, and this group was uh, established or announced in, in March of 2017 uh, as a merger of the various Al-Qaeda affiliated groups in the region. So the constituent groups of JNIM are, are first uh, AQIM's branch in the Sahara, uh, which originates from AQIM in, in Algeria. Uh, Al Murabitun, uh, which was uh, originated as an AQIM dissident group. Uh, Ansar al-Din, who previously mentioned, was um, primarily composed of fighters from the Tuareg ethnic group. Uh, and finally, Katiba al-Nasina. Uh, this group has recruited primarily, uh, although no, not exclusively, from the Fulani ethnic group in central Mali. Um, and this subgroup in particular has been instrumental in extending the geographical reach of JNIM into central and southern Mali, as well as into Burkina Faso. Um, and the other main group operating in the region is ISGS, uh, which is short for the Islamic State in the Greater Sahara. Um, like many other IS groups around the globe, uh, ISGS also began as a split within an Al-Qaeda-affiliated group, uh, and in the case of the ISGS, this was, uh, the split happened within al murabi in 2015. Um, and this split between Al-Qaeda and ISGS in the region, uh, sorry, between Al-Qaeda and IS, uh, appears at least initially to have had more to do with personal differences uh, than with ideological concerns. Um, so for the first few years of ISGS's existence, uh, the group's connection with um, IS central leadership appeared to be weak or, or almost non-existent. Um, ISGS was recognized by, by IS Central in 2016, um, but, um, but, but they were all, all but absent from, from all uh, IS Central propaganda after that. Uh, this changed only in 2019 uh, when ISGS again started appearing in, in IS Central's uh, propaganda, and this gives an indication that there has been a reconnection between. Uh, the, the local affiliate and the um, and IS Central. Uh, so ISGS is now officially designated as part of Islamic State's West Africa province. Uh, 
uh, and something that for long set the Sahel apart from other conflicts, conflict theaters around the globe, uh, was that even though JNIM and ISGS operated in many of the same territories, uh, we did not see the same level of enmity and open warfare between Al-Qaeda and IS sanctions, as we've seen, for example, in Syria and Iraq, uh, Yemen and Libya. Um, the two groups appear to have, for the most part, accepted each other's presence, um, and some also claim that they had some limited degree of cooperation. Uh, but this all changed last year, uh, so from the spring of 2020, um, open fighting broke up between the two groups, uh, leaving hundreds of dead on both sides. Uh, so we can see now that the relationship between the two groups now conforms more closely to the conflict between Al-Qaeda and Islamic State uh, in the rest of the world, as we will get back to in a bit. So uh, we'll now turn to look at how JNIM and ISGS have operated in the region. Um, so while as mentioned, uh, JNIM and ISGS are part of the global brands of Al-Qaeda and Islamic State, uh, the groups, uh, for the most part, operate locally. Uh, that means that their immediate goal is to fight an insurgency in the Sahel region, uh, where the primary adversaries are local and international military forces, uh, as well as competing militant groups. Uh, the majority of fighters in both groups are recruited locally. Uh, the number of foreign fighters is very small. Uh, and almost all of their attacks happen within this region. Um, and uh, Morten Boers has, uh, has already given uh, uh, some introduction to, to how these groups operate and how, uh, and how they get, uh, uh, how they manage to, to integrate uh, into the local societies. But I'll just uh, give a short recap. Um, so, as, uh, as Morton has mentioned, the, the, most of this jihadist insurgency happens in rural areas where the state has, uh, where the trust in state institutions uh, has been low even before this, the start of this, this insurgency. Uh, and many of these communities have um, experienced poverty, underdevelopment, uh, uh, lots of corruption, and in general a feeling that the state has left them behind. So uh, they've used these anti-state sentiments to find support, um, and, and their basic strategy in, in, on a local level has been to systematically attack first state security forces and symbols of the state, um, as well as local elites and authorities who have kind of functioned as the, as the link between the, 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 the state governments and the local communities. So, uh, so using violence to undermine the control of the government in these areas, uh, they've stepped in to replace, uh, to replace government functions and, and provided basic services, as Morton mentioned, as, uh, as mobile courts, um, some basic security they've adjudicated in different, um, uh, in different land conflicts, for instance. Uh, but, but they've not taken control over major population centers or, or major cities or uh, they do not control a delineated territory as they did in 2012 and 2013. Um, but they have still been able to get a foothold in many communities where they can uh, recruit followers and, and build trust. Um, they also, they were also once support through involving themselves in these existing local conflicts that that that, all, that, um, that, that, that exists uh, over a range of issues uh, throughout the Sahel. Um, and even though many of these local conflicts have little to do with jihadism in this place, uh, jihadists have inserted themselves into these conflicts and, and, and uh, 
kind of grafted a jihadist narrative over pre these pre-existing conflicts. Um, so the overall point here is that jihadists in the Sahel, both ISJS and JNIM, are profoundly local in their orientation, and they have managed to impose a jihadist narrative over pre-existing conflicts and grievances. Um, so, while well, we've seen that the immediate agenda and strategies of JNIM and ISGS are primarily local, uh, we cannot see them in complete isolation from the phenomenon of, of transnational jihadism. So the, the ideology they subscribe to is transnational, and this transnational dimension uh, makes jihadist insurgents different in many ways from other militant groups in the region. Um, so as we've seen, uh, jihadism is a highly adaptable ideology. Uh, it is easy to fit the narrative to, to, to various local conflicts. Uh, at the same time, since the jihadist fight is regarded as a global endeavor, they're not that bound to a particular area. Uh, on the contrary, uh, jihadist groups routinely expand uh, or relocate to new areas uh, whenever they're under pressure. And we've seen this mechanism at work in the Sahel, for instance. Uh, so as mentioned, uh, the, the, what became the jihadist movement in the Sahel uh, first moved into northern Mali from Algeria, uh, where, when jihadists were under pressure there. Uh, similarly, when northern Mali uh, became the target of a French intervention and UN mission, uh, the jihadists expanded further into central Mali and from there to northern Burkina Faso and western Niger. Um, and we can see this tendency that jihadist groups establish themselves in ever new areas uh, continuing. Uh, so, for example, um, over the past year, uh, we've seen increasing jihadist activity in western and southern Mali, uh, as well as in western and southern Burkina Faso, as well as uh, across the borders into the coastal states of West Africa, as, for example, the Ivory Coast, uh, Benin, and Togo. So, uh, when it comes to the next point on the, on the power, uh, on next point on, on the slide, um, I've called JNIM and IHS members of the global Al-Qaeda and Islamic State networks. Um, calling them integrated members might be uh, a bit of an overstatement or a bit controversial uh, because uh, we don't really know the extent to which the central organizations exercise uh, control over these affiliates. Um, it is unlikely that the central organizations have much control over the day-to-day -day run running of these affiliates, just that said. Uh, what I mean uh, is that the way in which JNIM and ISGS portray themselves publicly uh, makes it absolutely clear that the, the these groups, uh, or at least their leaders, uh, see themselves as members of global organizations. Um, and this has some consequences for the way in which they operate. Um, I think this has become especially evident over the past two years, uh, when ISGS became more closely linked to the Islamic State, uh, as I mentioned previously. Uh, so, after ISGS linked up with IS Central in 2019, uh, we've seen that the ideological differences between JNIM and ISGS have become more pronounced. Uh, and this has been over a variety of issues, uh, such as uh, when and how to implement Islamic law, uh, whether it's, it is legitimate to negotiate peace with the local governments, and also when it comes to what kind of violence that is deemed acceptable, which Morton also mentioned, this is part of the uh, this mirrors the, 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 the global discourse between um, Al-Qaeda and Islamic State. And uh, this was not, to, to the same extent, the, the um, 
the case previously. Um, and this suggests that the affiliation to these global networks have an influence and form the behavior of these groups in the, in the Sahel. Um, I'm just adding on to this, the, the fact that, that open conflict has also broken out, not just ideological conflict, but, but actual violent conflict, has no, now broken out between JNIM and ISGS, um, is also e evidence that, that the, the events around the world and in the Arab world uh, uh, have direct consequences for what happens in the jihadist media in, in the Sahel. Um, and finally, uh, it is important to note that uh, while using the brands of Al-Qaeda and IS uh, confers certain benefits to jihadists in the Sahel, um, the global organizations also benefit from having these active affiliates in Africa. Uh, for Islamic State, for instance, uh, uh, when they were losing all the territory in Iraq and Syria two years ago, uh, it was very, very powerful for them to, to, to show in their propaganda that they were still expanding in the Sahel uh, and in other places around the world. Uh, so I will conclude by briefly summarizing uh, the main points. Um, so first, uh, the Arab Spring and the fall of Gaddafi contributed to the instability in the, in the Sahel countries, which also allowed for jihadist movements to take uh, to get a foothold. Um, and even though the jihadist state in northern Mali was taken down by a French military intervention in 2013, this did not spell an end to jihadism in the region. Uh, on the contrary, uh, jihadist violence has spread throughout the Sahel and has become a much larger issue than it was eight years ago. Uh, and finally, as we've seen, uh, the jihadists are not only local and not only transnational, but we have to appreciate that they, that they to some extent are both. Thank you for your attention. Mm -hmm.